Welcome back into the Mental Game. I'm your host, Brandon Seho, and this week's guest is Asher Grobman, who plays Trevor on CBS's hit comedy, Ghost. And I can't wait to share this amazing conversation with you because Asher really dives into his own mental health, battling depression and suicidal thoughts. This goes really, really deep, and I can't thank him enough for opening up here on the Mental Game. We talk about his dreams, his career in acting, the ups and downs, struggling for years and years before finally landing this dream job on the show Ghost. We'll get into all of that and much, much more coming up in this episode, but once again, I want to remind all of you at home watching and listening, if you love the Mental Game and want to help more people, as many as you can with their mental health, please like subscribe, rate, review, share, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, because I truly believe this can be a powerful platform that can help save lives with conversations. Speaking of conversations, now it is time for the next one here on The Mental Game with Asher Grobman. Welcome back into The Mental Game. As you can tell, I'm joined by a very special guest, Asher Grobman here in New York City. I appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Uh, most people know you as Trevor in Ghost, which is on CBS, a great mm -hmm. show that I was told by my brother because I was at the games during the Bengals playoff run this past year, but those were the most, uh, they had the most commercials during the Super Bowl run was oh, you. Is that Ghost. right? Yeah, that's what I was told. So, oh my God, I yeah, didn't know that. My brother's a fan of the show and he knew exactly who you were. So he's very happy <laughs> to have you on here. Uh, first thing I ask everyone is what does mental health uh, mean to you? And people can answer it a, very, a variation of ways, whether it's something you discovered at a young age or maybe there's a, a traumatic event that, that led to you maybe taking better care of your mental health. But I'll ask the question, what does mental health mean to you? Oh God, am I gonna get emotional right now? Um, I think mental health is, uh, it's funny, I, I spend so much time in therapy and trying to take care of myself and I even still feel like for the most part I'm neglecting my mental health. And so I, wow. I think it's your best way, or I'll speak for me, it's my best way to see myself. And I think that mm -hmm. the thing is if you can't, if you're not seeing yourself, no one's, yeah, no one else has the time. Yeah. That's that's true, and it's you have to realize what is good for you, what's bad for you, when to take care of yourself. Because I know, yeah. especially in the line of work that you're in, or, or what I used to do, being a sports reporter, it's so go 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 all the time yeah. that you often don't have time, or don't think you have time uh, to take care of yourself. Well, I also there, there's as an actor, there's so many times that you're because for a significant portion of your career, you're probably jobless. Yeah, and so there is oddly time. But there is no priority on yourself because everything that you think you're trying to achieve is mm -hmm. outside of yourself. Or, and, and, and what's even worse is that it usually involves someone else's opinion about you. Yeah. Which, of course, is like the worst thing for your mental oh, health sure. when you're, you're trying. It's not like, I say this to my students, it's not like building a table where at the end of it you're like, well, I built the table well. Yeah. Everything is subjective. You could feel great about your audition. Someone else can be like, oh, that sucked. Right. So... Is, is there, did you always want to be an actor? When did that, that become your goal, your dream? Um, I, no, I didn't. I, I think my parents thought that I was going to be like an architect or something as I was always building things and I okay. grew like up tables, in, like tables. Yeah, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I, I was like, I would build like little forts out of paper and stuff okay. like that. That's, and 
I was very like uh, it's creative. Yeah, it was. It was. It was creative, and um, and I I think that I was a really like shy kid. Okay. I was like deathly shy, and um, uh, I've told this story a bunch, but basically, uh, I was really shy. Had lacked, I guess, any social skills, or at least was just not seen as the normal. Yeah, and I was like the Jewish kid in an area where that wasn't, yeah, normal. Right, um, and. Uh, and I had a crush on every girl in school, and I eventually ended up getting up in front of everyone and singing. Um, I was in the jazz band, and uh, Let's go. yeah, I was in the jazz, but I was really very bad. And then everyone graduated, and suddenly I had to do things. Um, <laughs> and uh, we did Brown Eyed Girl, and I got up, and I don't know how. I, cause I think movies were teaching me about social interaction, so I thought it'd be a good idea to get up in front of the entire school uh. and change the lyrics to from Brown Eyed Girl to hazel-eyed girl for this yeah. girl did it and, work uh, no she was mortified oh okay um, <laughs> but there was like, something about I, that i got that zero I, game right now so i'm maybe maybe <laughs> taking some <laughs> well maybe i but maybe maybe as you get older that that strategy works a little a little more but for you know a, a seventh grader uh it didn't work but what it did do was i had this like this experience of suddenly being part of something, or I guess being seen, yeah, is probably a better way to put it that I've never quite put it together. Of like, oh, suddenly I existed in other people's eyes, and I felt like I wasn't so alone. Mm-hmm. And I think that somewhere in that was the beginning of pulling my imagination into real life. And the way to do that is always storytelling. Do you feel like in your childhood, and we were talking a little bit before off, off before off camera about. How you grew up in rural New Jersey, yeah. very opposite of where we're at now in yeah. the heart of New York City. Uh-huh. Do you feel like growing up you had that like maybe insecurity or, or anxiety about feeling alone or not seen or or not heard just because you were such a shy kid? I think there's a few things. I think that's part of it. I also think that you know you're obviously influenced by your parents. And yeah. My parents are really. Uh, they they've achieved a lot. They're really smart people, mm-hmm. um, but like we weren't like having people over. You know, we weren't. Yeah. It wasn't like a social okay space. And so I think that that was something that wasn't modeled for me. Yeah. And then in addition, I struggled so much in school, socially and academically. I'm mm-hmm. dyslexic. I had ADD. My tests were horrible. Yeah. And so. I don't know this, but I am sure that somewhere in my body is the devastating fear of my, seeing my parents suddenly be afraid that I was going to flunk out or something. Right. And you just start. And suddenly when you feel your parents are afraid, you're very afraid because yeah. that's disorienting. So you sung Hazel Eyed Girl in <laughs> yeah. seventh grade. Uh-huh. Going into to high school, did, you ha- did that kind of flip the switch of... Hey, I think I want to do this acting thing or get into theater in high school or do plays. Yeah, I think there was. Well, so the, the, and this is what my parents did so incredibly well, and I and I got so lucky with is that they never said you need to do X Y Z. It was always you do whatever you want. Yep. But when you do that thing, you better bust your ass. And chase it. So when I figured out that this is the thing that I wanted to do, and I figured it out like you know, fourteen or fifteen, whenever that was, um, my parents were all on uh, on board about helping me get out there. And so, uh, yeah, I I I think my parents more than anything gave me a sense of tenacity. Okay. 
That's a very good trait to have. And I, like my parents were the same way with being supportive. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know if as much as acting, um, but journalism is no, no joke. It, it's very selective, very yeah. hard to break in. And it is grueling for like you talked about, you don't have jobs for a while. You're not making a ton of money. Yeah. And, so my well, and it's very similar in the fact that you don't control your own time. You're no, constantly yeah. chasing other people for these bits and stuff like that. I mean, you're, you're, yeah. no, no, no story is ever like, no, let me sit around and wait till he's ready. Right. <laughs> like, no, it'll be 7 a.m. when I'm hungover yeah. on a vacation day and, and some Bengals player, NFL player will have some big contract signing or yeah. something like that. That just, that's how it works. Um, you came to New York City for, for college, right? Yes. I mean, but I was always like, New York was, uh, the kind of the center of the world that I was in. Right. Um, so I was coming around. I, I was in New York for a, a bit, auditioning and everything. But yes, college was the first time that I lived lived here. And and did you fall in love with it right away because you wanted to be like you wanted like you living in Jersey. I'm sure you're close enough in New York City where you had this idea of what being an actor and living in New York City was. Did yeah. when you when you came here and lived here for the first time? Did that. Did that change you? Did, you? did it motivate you? How did it affect you? I think you? I was, as with most things that I've done in my life, I think I was terrified at first. Yeah? Like, I remember, as a kid, I wouldn't want to come into the city. It was big and loud and scary, and I right. wanted to just go hide in the woods and, yeah. <laughs> and play with the dogs, and, you know. Uh, but, uh, and, and my relationship to the city was so defined by rejection through acting. And, like, my right. parents driving me to go someplace in a room with a bunch of adults who would look at you like, you know, you're one of a million and it's like next and just there's no right. humanity in there. And there was no, no, uh, um, no one was um, preparing me for that uh, except just the experience of doing it. Yeah. So in the beginning it was, it was really scary. And then the, when I got into New York, I think the first thing that happened to me living here was the city began to, be, to become my home. Yeah. Instead of a place that was this otherworldly place that had the things I wanted, but it was never going to give them to me. Yeah, and you talk about auditioning, and and I know I'm we're going back and forth between our careers. We have like you know you put together your resume reel, you send it out, and then you basically go audition and do like a mock report, newscast, sportscast, yeah. whatever it is. But there is a lot of rejection. You talked about it earlier, just the judgment of things that you can't control, like what you look like, what you sound like, how you read something, how you deliver a script. Um, the rejections and obviously like you're getting to live your dream now, but it is yeah. fairly recent big time success. I mean, when did you get the part on ghost? I got the part, uh, in late February of 2020 and I was in LA to shoot the pilot and just a pilot is just, just going to be one episode. And right. You got like a 20% chance that they're actually going to put the thing to series. Yeah. Um, but I was in uh, yeah February of 2020, and then there's a table read that you do. Yep. And the story is always that at least one person gets fired at every table read that happens. You know, so we're just waiting this whole week for when is the table read going to happen. Every single day I'm waking up like, okay, it'll be today. And I show up to the studio, and they're like, oh, no, we're not going to do it today. We'll do it tomorrow. And I'm like, ah, okay. I wanna, yeah, I want to know. So then I come in the next day, and I'm like ready to go. And they're like, ah, no, we'll wait. We'll do it next day. And um, it kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. And on the Thursday that we pushed it, the NBA shut down. I remember that day. Very and vividly. so we did the table read on the Friday and they said, okay, great. Everyone keeps their jobs. We're, we're, we're going to go shoot on Monday. We still hadn't cast like four of the roles, but um, we were, we were going to make this thing. Yeah. And then we all went to lunch 
and we're like, all right, great, this is happening. Our lives are about to change. And then an hour later, they came and told us, you know what, we're going to shut everything down for a few weeks, just see what happens. And then, <laughs> oh my it was, god, uh, so- six or eight months later that we shot the pilot, and then a full year later that we it became a reality. We got picked up. So. <laughs> That's a lot to, to digest <laughs> because you're working your ass off for 20, 25 years trying to get That's to nice. that moment of, yeah. hey, I, I finally made it and I'm on this, <laughs> this show yeah. on CBS and doing my thing that I've always dreamed of. But w- like working all the way up to that point, how much rejection can a person take and how do you stay motivated to just keep on grinding and going after so many no's or one-offs or guest star appearances like how, how do you just keep chugging along well there was a long period where a guest star would have meant the world to me yeah like i had an eight-year run where i couldn't get a television job like i just wasn't doing anything yeah and uh like i would have i would have loved i, w- I would have taken anything and i i couldn't do it and, and i think what's what happens eventually is well I'll say this uh there is this little like time capsule thing that starts because everyone else yeah. you went to school with who wasn't in the arts oh, got a yeah. job. Yep. And you're kind of you're waiting tables for a little bit. You're, you know, I mean, you go to school for a little bit. You're, 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 you're like this vagabond or something in this world as everyone is like moving on with their lives and you're still kind of stuck at 24, or 23 out of college trying to figure out right. where your legs are. So that happens. Um, but I do remember the closest I ever came from walking away and saying this is too much was actually after the most successful year of my career up until Ghost, which was I did a year where I just did theater and and I it was like back to back to back to back jobs and I worked the whole year and afterward at the end the end did like me playing the title role in Amadeus, which mm-hmm. is this like heavy lift and it was so much fun and and I thought okay I did it. Now, like things should be different, right? And nothing changed. I had like one audition afterwards, and then things went silent. And I was like, "All right, I think maybe I should go to grad school. Maybe I should go like like a study to be an architect or something, or just like give up." And um, and I think eventually what kept me around was I couldn't, whether this is healthy or not, I couldn't acknowledge or label the previous. I was seventeen, so fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years. Uh, as a failure. Yep. I couldn't just say that I had, I needed something more to show for it. And that was, that moved me towards moving back to New York Mm -hmm. where then everything changed for me and got exponentially better. What was, um, what was rock bottom? I mean, you had a lot of auditions that didn't get callbacks. You had a lot of, of years of, you mentioned eight years. It was, did I get that right? Is it eight years of not working? Yeah, there was eight years of not working in television. In television, right. Uh, but you know, for the most part in those 20 years, I wasn't working much at all. Um, rock bottom. I mean that, that moment after that, that year that I got real low after that. Um, I do remember actually this was, Oh my God. So in addition to this actor having social anxiety, uh, being dyslexic, so he can't read scripts. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, th- those two death blows t- to the desire to be an actor. I also had intent, like this crazy vocal tension where if I got in a room with people, maybe had a drink, the next day I wouldn't be able to talk. 
And so the idea of doing a play where you know after you do one production of it that you may not be able to talk the next day is terrifying. And that is exactly what happened in previews of Amadeus. I had gotten my biggest theater role to that point. Yeah. And like by the second or third preview, I had lost my voice. And I was there like, I'm I'm here. I'm just, I'm here. And now I, I have to be on steroids. To say that we had to start canceling shows um, for me to rest and recover. And like that terror, when you know it's eight shows a week, you got to find a way to keep going. Right. And it just, I think the terror is always like, the universe doesn't want me to do this. Right. Like it shouldn't be this hard. Yep. Because nothing came easy. Yeah. Did um, you, yeah. Did, did you like, were there like those few nights that first week when you had to cancel shows? I mean, were there nights of you toss and turn and thinking, oh, yeah. what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Uh, there was so much shame. And, and that's the thing is like the worst thing in those situations is not necessarily the reality of what's happening, but watching that reality fall over someone's face who previously believed in you. Yeah. Like the director hearing for the first time, oh, our Amadeus can't talk. Like that's the, that's the worst thing. Um, and, uh, and knowing that like, cause you, you take it on, you take right. on the, the past rejections and you're like, oh, well reject failure has come to this production cause I brought it. Yeah. Cause that's who I am. Did you, um, did, you did the, uh, waiting tables. I know that, but you yeah. also teaching was, it was a big thing yeah. for you. Were you a substitute teacher first and then started doing it? Was it full time or? Yeah. Well, so I was, when I was in LA, my like side job uh, cause I couldn't, I, I like, I needed to do something that as a survival job that was somehow connected to the dream of being an actor. Right. And so I thought substitute teaching would be a good thing. And I had this degree that I could use. And so I applied and got, um, and you take some, some tests, uh, which was a little scary to take like standardized tests. After, yeah. I you know, in your, in your late twenties, <laughs> you're like, Oh my God. My my no, sixteen thanks. year old self would, yeah. would be ashamed of me, but yeah. So you take these tests and you go and and so I was a substitute teacher and mostly in South Central uh, LA. So you you know you you get up every morning at like four thirty. You wait by the phone and somewhere between like five a.m. and six a.m. your phone may or may not ring. It usually does. Um, to say that there's a someone's not coming to work today. We need a sub. So you're gonna go to a school that you don't know. You don't know where it is. You don't know these students for the most part. You're walking in. It's probably like 20 kids in a class. Yeah. And I did elementary school. So it was anything from like, uh, like, you know, first grade to like fifth grade. And, uh, and basically it's on you to keep these people, get through a lesson plan. So you have a script. Right. And to keep this audience engaged somehow, uh, until, you know, two 30 in the afternoon. So it was exhausting. Yeah. It sounds awful. It was. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to uh, no, hate on what you did to get. No, no, like, no. It's just from the outside. It sounds very difficult. It was, it was, it was, it was a hard thing to do, but um, as an actor, it was great because on a day where I had an audition, I just wouldn't pick up the phone, right? So right. I, I could have my days off when I needed it. But what it was good at doing was like that social anxiety. That that was front and center. You got to face it. Yeah, you got to face it, and and something about dealing with kids i remember there was a day where i was like i i had i also had like a ton of acne like i just like it was like everything that you shouldn't have as an actor i had yeah and i remember the kids one day like being like why is there red shit all over your face 
And so I was like, thank you. This is thank great. you so Another, much. This is really good. Help me out here. I'm gonna go home and cry about this. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, exactly. So so the kids are, are great because but but they're, they're actually great because they're so honest. Like right. if something's not funny, they're not gonna laugh. Right. So you start to find an ability to relate and communicate um, and kind of feel more comfortable in the in the uncomfortability, and that's what ended up. So then I was doing that and that became a stepping stone to teaching what I really wanted to teach, which, which was acting. Mm -hmm. Because the way that auditions turned around for me was I just started helping everyone that I could find with an audition. Like it, well, I wasn't, te I, was just, I was just helping. And so I, I said this to you before we got on camera, but there's this, this, this experience of like what the actor is doing and what people who are holding auditions are looking for. Yeah. And to get to A to B is very hard if you're sitting in the position of A or B. Right. But if you can step outside of it, and see A from 360 degrees and see B from that perspective, suddenly the two are not so far apart. Right. And so teaching was integral in me figuring that out. Um, and, and, and it's very orienting in a business that is otherwise very disorienting. So that helped you basically translate yeah. what, um, what you needed to do when you go in for an audition, but you were doing it almost subconsciously helping people that you know try to land parts. Is that right? Yeah, and I would I would help people all the time and 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 they'd be, you know, they'd have these dream careers that like the ones that I would want. And even with my acting coach, like I, for a long time I worked with this guy, Bob Krakauer, who's a wonderful acting coach here in New York. And for a long time I'd be in classes as like the guy who was like the guy that Bob would, you know, be like, oh, take that person outside and help him out or something like that. But like, I'd be the one with no resume, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so like I had learned it so long, but for some reason it just wouldn't, when I was auditioning, it wouldn't click. Right. Great in class. But when the pressure was on, I'd black out. I'd, whatever it is, I yeah. went dead. And it was only through like so much practice and so much examination that eventually the, I mean, I would dissociate. Yeah, I would dissociate and eventually I knew so much and my body knew so much that the dissociation began to connect like it, it, be, it began to fizzle away and suddenly I became pre more and more present in what I was doing. When you get the call for ghost audition, is it something do you have any idea? What you were, did you know you were signed up to be pantsless on national TV? <laughs> no, I had no idea. Uh, to, to be completely honest, I had lost all faith in pilots that I was so focused, and, and there was a, a guest star for Blue Bloods, yeah. that I was like, oh, a guest star, I could get a guest star. That's what I really wanted. And my agent was like, we're going to this audition. You're gonna do this ghost audition. I was like, oh. Um, but it was, it, when I read it, it was the kind of thing where, I think anytime you perform, and this is why the mental health stuff is so important, there's a tightrope that you walk, yeah. walk. I've always felt that as an actor, it's somewhere between control and chaos. Yeah. Right. So you can lean into the control and then fear is just gripping everything. But you need a little bit of that control in order for there to be a story. Right. And then there's the chaos of just throwing everything to the wind yep. where suddenly things are just amorphous and don't really happen. But you need the chaos because that's the only thing that anything is a only way that anything is alive. Yeah. So there's this constant tightrope you're walking. And when I remember I remember reading the ghost script and being like, this thing is so well written. The tightrope is even finer because um, I need to stay out of its way it's going to work yeah i just i can't put a hat on a hat i can't put too much on it because it, it's naturally going to work it's naturally going to flow right just let it be what it is after going through so many auditions over you know a decade of either rejection or getting small roles or, or doing um not tv jobs 
when you walked out of that audition, did you feel like I got this or no, no? I felt good. I felt, I felt good. But the, the bigger thing was I was an hour late for that audition Yikes! because I had an audition prior with a casting director who years prior had told my agents when I was like in high school, don't ever send him back here. And I remembered, I, I never forgot that, that that office was like, he's not good. Don't ever send him back here. So this is the first time that that guy was seeing me since grad school, since all those years. So all I wanted, and I was so wrong for the part. I was never going to be good. Right. Um, but all I wanted was for that guy to see me as different than what he saw me as when I was a kid. So it was, that's everything I needed. So I was an hour late for that thing. I was just sitting there keeping my head straight so I can go in and do it. And he did. I mean, I, I did the audition. He was like, wow, you've grown, you know, and that was all I needed. So at that point I was like, <laughs> this day is over. Yeah. It's I great. We're good. Anything else is fine. So yeah. I, you know, um, I wasn't even thinking about ghosts, uh, cause the only thing I needed was to get that, that demon out of my, out of my head. So, he wasn't a demon, but the memory. No, of that no, it's, he it's, was lovely. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was lovely. The it's, <laughs> it's, but it is like when you're in such a subjective, judgmental, critiquing business. Like, and I think for people who are listening that either want to get in journalism or get in acting, theater, whatever it is, like you have to know people are going to. I don't know if like talking shit or critiquing you is the right way to put it, but it is kind of what happens. You have to have thick skin. I think the world's changed. In the most part, with people being more polite and trying to be conscious yeah. of people's mental health, but these businesses, at least I can speak on, on the sports journalism side, it hasn't really changed that much. Where you still have to be like, is it the same way in acting, where it's the same grind of getting judged, critiqued constantly? And yeah, it's funny. Like those years when I was not working, I kept telling myself this story that it's me there's something wrong with me right there's mm -hmm. the there were like like me and the business don't mix there's something about me or my relationship with the business and that's not true the hard reality is that um no one cares and every job is different here, here uh, uh, I, let, me, let me say this better it always felt like oh the business hated me and that's what i wanted it to be yeah, because if they hate me, if they don't like me, then we I have a relationship with them. It's it's antagonistic, but I have a relationship. If it's just that I'm just not all that interesting and yeah. no one's really drawn to me, it means that I'm I'm just erased. I don't even exist. So like I would almost prefer that they all hated me, <laughs> just so you'd be on the radar. Just so I'd have a relationship. Yeah. Just so I would exist in their eyes. But for the most part, I was just invisible. And that's the hard thing is that it's not like that one day of feedback or like, and I would have with agents. I had a, a play that I did. We did it twice. And on the opening nights of both of those productions, my agent fired me, like just dropped me. Like I saw the play, not interested. I, I'm, we're not working together anymore. And so that kind of thing is different because that person knows you They're that like that hurts because they rejected you and they, they, they right. be betray is not the right word, but they abandoned you. Yeah. The casting things hurt because you feel like you just don't exist. And if you put all your eggs in this basket, right, you cannot not take that personally. Like you right. can have all the therapy you want, but your body is still going to feel the feelings of feeling like you don't deserve to take up space. You mentioned therapy, so I want to hop into that. 
you started therapy at a at a younger age? I started therapy in college because I okay. had a really magnificent acting coach named Larry Moss who told me you need to get into therapy. I just all my wires were crossed and I was set up to be in trouble. And uh, and I listened to him and the truth is I didn't find a good therapist. I was probably 21, 22 when I started and things didn't work for me. I finally found a good therapist who was a healthy I found a lot of unhealthy therapists. Yep. Therapists who would like 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 emotionally abuse me because I wouldn't like would say like you're not doing this you're refu- you're sabotaging this and like would like get in your face and it's like Jesus and part of me the tenacity would say like no I I can take it I can take more like this is good for me this is good for me right like tough love almost yeah because you don't think you always think oh I'm not tough enough let me right. keep going but eventually I found a really good therapist when I was in L A through a friend of mine Don Cantwell. Um, her, her therapist. And then when I got back to New York after the pandemic, I found some really great therapists. Um, uh, and, and, and this is the first time in my life that I, I feel like I'm in really good hands, but it took that long. Right. And, well, and I think a good, a good point is too, like I was, I knew I was depressed or had mental health issues when I was 14. That was like the first time I thought about suicide and it took me all the way until the pandemic. Oh my God. To reach out and, and to go see a therapist, and luckily yeah. mine, like, knocked out of the park right away. That's incredible. Two complete opposites. She isn't. Hopefully, she doesn't watch this and get mad at me for describing her like this. <laughs> but she's an older woman that's not into sports. Had no idea who I am. Doesn't care about the Bengals or any teams I report on. So it was like so perfect because it gives you like a completely objective point of view on yeah. how to address your issues. What was the thing that, that these therapists that you finally, after shopping around liked, what did they do best that helped you with your mental health and move on? It wasn't about my head. It wasn't about talking about or analyzing things. It was about my body. It was about feeling the sensations in my body. Cause I would always, I, I, and I had acting coaches at a young age who were, I, I think, put me in very unhealthy situations. Yeah. And my body just would hold on to these things. So it's like your your feelings, your memories, stuff like that. At least this was my experience. They would, they it, 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 your brain would have these thoughts, but it's usually motivated by something that's kind of held physiolo- uh, phys- um, f- physically is the wrong word. But you know what I yeah. mean? I'm being trying to trying to say big words. Uh, <laughs> um and I think that was the big turning point for me where suddenly like suddenly the benefit of having a little bit of quiet and taking a little bit of space for myself suddenly existed as opposed to approaching everything with my head where I had to solve the problem that was me. And yeah. that was really hard because I would kind of go through the same cycle and you can't really solve your emotions with your head. Mm -hmm. Or at least I've found this. Yeah, no, it's... I got a pretty quick head and he jumps in, you know, to solve problems immediately and and so I have to take him out of the equation. Yeah, I'm totally laughing and being sophomore during this conversation. No, (laughs) you're you're being great. It's uh, No, but the thing is, is once you like realize what works for you, it helps you move on in, in a different direction and I think with your career and mental health, like, whatever you believe in God or whatever, like yeah. is putting you in that direction. It feels like they sync up at the same time. Like when you're going through shit, you're really going through shit. Yeah. And when you're feeling like things are turning in the right direction, it's both mental health, 
like you said, therapy, and then you get this this job as Trevor on Ghost, and it's this is a life changing role for you, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, it's 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 funny. I um uh I won't name names, but there was someone I had I had uh, dinner with early on when I, when I got this show, and and they were like, um, uh, you know, this is a dumb show. I I don't give a shit about this show. Like it's just dumb. And and uh, and it really just like flattened and and destroyed every like my whole journey has been to get here right to overcome right. all these things to get here. There are people for whom I suppose I suppose there are people for whom this is very easy. Like you, I guess you just you can get a ton of shows in your life and everything just comes to you. Yeah. But um, this for me, just having a job as an actor and being part of something, and even even the bigger thing, which is you make a thing that people like yeah it, that at the end of the day that's everything mm-hmm. so and that changes the reality of your life like i i mean this is the one of the weirdest things about me is is i'm a jaguars fan and now i have a relationship with the team because of this show right it's amazing there's really no other way that i've cashed in like the <laughs> show outside of that cuz it's really all i wanted um but but there's that but then there's also the things that are i think more important which is a little bit of a level of confidence in knowing that you get to take up some space. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to this, the only place where I felt that was in a classroom where I was educating people who were trying to come into this business and trying to figure out how it worked. And because I had failed so much, I, and they were asking questions, I knew some answers to those questions. Yeah. But aside from that, um, yeah, feeling like you have two legs to stand on and you have something to say uh, and you can make a difference is, you know, that's a huge, huge thing for your head and your heart. It's proving yourself right and that all this hard work of years and years teaching, waiting tables, struggling, waiting for this moment, it, it pays off. And, and for you, you had always wanted to do more serious roles and this at least that's what i thought and yeah that- when i was in college there, there there was a phrase that my friends would use called an asher joke and that's the jokes that would fail those were the be- ah. the jokes that would follow with silence so no part of me was ever like oh <laughs> i'll do a comedy that sounded like the dumbest thing i could ever possibly like, that sounded like taking the the um insurmountable uh goal or, or obstacle of being an actor and making it even harder just for fun. Yeah. Uh, so no part of me was looking for that. It was always the drama. And I think uh, in a lot, in many ways, this is probably unhealthy for a lot of it. Acting was a way to try to understand how I was feeling all the time and the dark feelings that I was feeling all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, there are people now who look back who were casting people who knew me back then. They were like, you know what? It was always going to be comedy for you. And I'm like, that's well, crazy. No one told me that. that yeah. Know. Well, I mean, obviously it worked out and it's, yeah. it's, proven to be a, a great role for you the um i do want to say just because you said it earlier um i i think that i've probably had two moments in my life where i like i've i've always had a lot of depression a lot of anxiety stuff like that there are probably two moments in my life where i really contemplate like i felt like i was the part the suicidal impulse was strong enough that it was like it took the mic for a second let's put it that way yeah one of them was living in la and it was it was just nothing uh, happening. Um, that was one, but the other one was actually after season one. Really? Yeah, because I think that getting done with season one 
and and kind of the duality between how the show what the show was and what this new life was juxtaposed with how I had felt internally all those years yeah almost couldn't coexist and so one of them was like this isn't work we're not going to make it we're getting too close to the sun it's not going to you know yeah and so it was just this overwhelming fear and now and you know you work in therapy you do stuff and now it feels so much different but like um I would perseverate over over any little thing um or just people being like being seen or or stuff like that and now I'm it's I've I worked and got a lot better at it but it was interesting to me that it was after my biggest success that was the moment where I really I got darkest yeah and I want to if I can please dig into that a little bit because for me like I, I don't know. I don't know. I worked hard, but I got lucky where I got back to a a big job at 25, like covering my hometown team on the Bengals. It was awesome. But like I was single, had always felt alone, dealt with, um, depression, suicidal thoughts since I was 14. I would be like walking home drunk and be like, all right, what if I just jump off the bridge? What's going to happen? Or like I had to call my cousin one time because I was laying down in traffic outside of a casino. Like, like, do you specifically remember nights of, I don't know if you're a big drinker like I used to be where you were super drunk and had these thoughts of like, all right, it's just not going to happen. What does it even matter? Like, yeah, I had, those were the moments. So it wasn't, uh, finally enough, neither of them were around nights, but they were, there were moments of like feeling like a raft, like you're on this raft in the ocean. Right. And it's like, there's, there's no land anywhere near us. So it's like, what's really the difference? Right. You know that, I think you'd have that kind of thought. Um, when the one happened in LA, I immediately called my friend Phil, uh, and and so like, there was a protective impulse in me that was like that now we're too close yes yeah, now wrong. now something now we gotta you know and just talking to a friend helped for the other one um it was it was it was a similar thing where i caught myself where it was the impulse it was almost like the impulse had the mic for just to continue with that metaphor had the mic for so long yeah that another part of me got scared and then got really angry and was like I don't know what the the PG rating no, is, but it was like I... fuck you, you know. And I went to therapy, and I like I, uh, my therapist gave me like a baseball bat, and I like hit a pillow for a while, and tears just start shooting out of me. Yeah. But I got so angry at this part of me that I think on some level was saying I was such a failure, and that if I didn't succeed, it wasn't worth. I didn't deserve the life. Yeah, because I had fallen fallen so sh- low under expectations, or if I hadn't, I was about to. Um, but yeah, I remember. I remember. I, I remember viscerally the feeling of like that argument. That part of me was suddenly getting the stage so much that another part of me got so angry. Right. Is that was that in L.A. or is that, no, that after was season here? One? I was sitting on this floor over here. Laying down after on the floor. You, after your first season shot. After you season got the one. the biggest job that you've ever It was, I mean, actually, honestly, it was probably a- almost a year ago. Wow. So maybe like this week or next week, right around that point, yeah. And, and what made you snap out of it? I mean, like that, you talking about going to therapy, I have the visual, because I'm a very visual person, of you bawling, hitting a pillow <laughs> with a baseball bat, of yeah. like, 
because I've been there. I mean, like people that haven't been in those spaces don't understand people that are listening or watching that have, they do of like, why the fuck do I feel like this? Yeah. It's, yes. It's, you can't answer the question. Like you have, well, it's a, it's also a feeling that feel because feelings aren't, first of all, they're not facts. So they're not rational. Right. But they have a real, like, if you are in a position where you don't, you're not sure what's real, what's true. If you're in the right path, if you're doing the right thing, a feeling, you never really question the reality or the truth of a feeling. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the feeling shows up and says, well, this is, this is real. And so whether it's based on a, a, a reality or not is yeah. irrelevant. It, 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 it just in its very essence of affecting how you feel, right? <laughs> it is feel, it is real. So, um, it, it's, you, 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 um, you have to almost have that. Luckily for me, my brain caught me the, the first time. And for the second time, I'd like to think that it was another feeling that popped up like self parts type thing that was like, fuck this guy. No, this guy doesn't deserve the microphone anymore. Now, now I, I think also in a lot in therapy, I would, I would have therapists, I'd have acting coaches who would say, treat, uh, Larry Moss would say this to me, uh, treat yourself like you are your own son. And so that language had gotten like embedded in my head. Um, and I think on some level when that voice got big enough, the part of me that got mad was the part that was like, leave the fucking kid alone. Right. You know? And, and was like, I worked too hard for us to not be here. Right. Go do this. That was, yeah. And I think for me, one of the biggest things I try to preach to people is that, and I'm not a therapist, not a doctor, not a mental health professional, but those feelings are just temporary. Like, like that's the crazy part for me is I look back at where I can't believe that's where I was, where I was sleeping until two, like as late as I wanted to, to go into the studio or go to practice, whatever it was. And then like, I just can't believe I was at that spot where I was suicidal every single day. I, you mentioned about being a year ago, having that moment on this floor in your, in your apartment. I had, I checked into a mental health hospital last April. So like literally a, a year and it's just crazy to look back on on those moments and see how you can grow yourself yeah and uh, I, I, yeah, well you just said it. yeah it, it this is and, and they're cyclical like yeah it's not that they won't ever come back right but when they come back if you take the space to work on yourself suddenly you you start to see them 360 right? yes so it's like it doesn't overwhelm you. You're like, oh, there, there you are again. Yeah, it's not We've, that. Th- this is this is not our first date. I've met you before. <laughs> I know how you work. <laughs> right. Uh, and I may feel you right now, but I can also feel my leg, and my leg is not feeling you right now. Or I can also feel like it, it, my whole body is not in yeah. the part of me that I'm feeling this thing. There's more than just the feeling when it shows up. Well, I'm, I'm happy that both of us, you know, figure those out, weather those storms. And are in good spots. And I want to, I know we yeah, talk a lot about me mental too. health and, and dark places, but I wanted to get into some fun things okay. uh, with the show. Um, yeah. Trevor on Ghost, uh-huh. No Pants. When did that, like, when did, did you know that as soon as you got the script? Um, how weird is that to be on a set with, like, without pants? Without like, pants. for everyone that's just listening, he does have pants on uh, yeah, on yes, the YouTube yeah. version of this. Um, I do. Uh, it's, it's weird questions. I'm sure you get it a lot now. I do. I do get a lot. It a lot. It's, uh, I, it's, I, I, I kind of feel like I disappoint the question every time because, um, I've just gotten used to it. Uh, when I first got the, the script, I, I was relieved 
Because I was like, that you had no pants on. Yeah, because I had never done a comedy before, so I was oh, like, okay. if I, thought I, you, I thought you thought this was like an adult film or something. No, You're no, like, no. Oh, okay, great. I'm in this. This is perfect. <laughs> no, I was relieved because I thought if I if I lay an Asher joke and and uh, mess the whole thing up, at least I don't have up, pants on. At least they can pull to a wide shot, and uh, and I won't drown everyone with my my failure. Um, so there, <laughs> there, that was the first thought, but there was definitely a moment when after being isolated because of the pandemic for six, seven months, whatever it was. And in the back of my head, I just knew when we shot that pilot, I was like, I guarantee you the first thing we shoot at like 5 a.m. Monday morning will be the Tara Reid monologue in front of a bunch of strangers and I'll have no pants on. And then suddenly I was walking around my apartment or what the hotel room trying to get used to the thing. And flash forward to um, a year and a, uh, yeah, like, like six months ago, uh, we had an event, um, it was for Comic-Con in New York, I had to go buy a pair of pants and I went into the store and found a pair of pants and took off mine, just tried them on in the middle of the store. And someone was like, um, do you want a dressing room? And it just like, <laughs> I've just gotten so comfortable that I, uh, the real question, the question should go to the cast who's now, you know, seen me without my pants on for so much that, uh, right. that they may need to get into therapy. Do you guys shoot in LA? No, Montreal. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. What's that like? Because that's not, I mean, there's you walking around with no pants in LA. I mean, there's way crazier things happening. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> around well, New there, York too is, yeah. is a lot crazier. Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny. Um, a lot of people in the cast would really love to move to LA and I want them to be happy. So I'm happy wherever we move, but there is something really nice for me about this dream comes true. And not only is it going to be this, this whole, uh, new experience but it's taking me to a new place yeah and so i I, there's a new world that i kind of get to experience and that's that's kind of fun yeah um i I think it's a great city i really enjoyed montreal and and the and they get all the seasons so in the summer i have bugs attacking my legs and in the winter i have the cold so do you is it like is it cool different like not being in la or new york shooting that because you think your whole life it's going to be or is it exciting to be something new uh, no, I think it's exciting to be something new. I mean, I, I won't lie. If we suddenly moved to Newark or, or New York, and there's some new studios opening up in Newark. If that suddenly happened, I'd be over the moon. I yeah. would be so happy. Because uh, half my life, you know, we shoot six, seven months out of the year, so half my life I'm living in Montreal. But I'm also saying that from the standpoint of having done it, having lived somewhere else. Because right. I think the other thing that happens with this business is that you spend so much time waiting that you actually end up it's different now because now everyone can audition virtually or with self tapes right. and everything. But there were so many years that I could have gone away and seen the world. And I didn't because I was like, I need to be available. I need to be available. And, and the business didn't want me to be available. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the, the fact that the show brings with it some, a new location is, I think is a, a fun thing. And I'll, I just got a few more questions please, please. To, to people like listening. If you haven't moved away, no matter what your profession is or what you're studying, like, yeah. I think it is such a, cause people are from certain cities. Cincinnati is one of them, but a lot of people don't leave where they're from and, and, yeah. and stay put. And I think you can learn a lot about yourself, <laughs> the world, obviously different jobs, careers. I said, even if you just do it for a year, go move somewhere else, different city, different state, different country, whatever you want to do. You learn a lot about, about you. Yes. My biggest, I think a big regret for me was not going away, not uh, studying abroad in college or, or just spending a big chunk of time away. And I still have this pipe dream that I'm going to go and like go to backpacking through Europe for a year or oh. something. Uh, but yeah. And the other thing, what it is, is, and this is just from a mental health standpoint, 
anything that I don't know about, I usually uh, relate to with fear. Mm. And then just having the experience of not knowing a thing, having judgments about it, going to that new world, realizing that it's different than what you thought. Yeah. Once you do it one time, you can kind of extrapolate from there. Right. But doing it that one time, um, it's like you don't even know what you're afraid of until you see it. Yeah. And realize that you're not afraid. (laughs) Yeah. And then you experience it and you're like, okay, I'm comfortable here. Yeah. Um, Have you got comfortable with um, the new level of uh, of fame and attention and and what it's been like? I mean, it's obviously good being successful on the show. Yes. uh, But like seeing, you know, I saw you on CBS this this morning Mm -hmm. um, doing interviews like that or premieres or or have you had any crazy Hollywood experiences of like, it's just like, it's cool. Like it's different. Yeah. Thus far, it's all cool. You know, I also live in New York. Yeah. Where... Like I grew up in, and every actor who every actor who wanted to be an actor worshipped the ground that Philip Seymour Hoffman walked on. Yeah, and I would see him all the time in New York, just walking around, and occasionally I'd say something, but I would never go up to him and be like, "Oh my God, hi, I love you so much." Like it would be a thing right. that would happen naturally. Like New Yorkers, I feel for the most part are not like, "Oh my God, I have to pull you aside and da da da." Like you're in New York, you know. Maybe that ha- shit happens in L.A., but yeah. here in New York, everyone's just getting. So, hey, the get day. the fuck out of the way. I got. Yeah, I got to get on the a, bus, or I got to. I yeah. got to get in this store. <laughs> but 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 to that that so so all I not that I wouldn't appreciate someone telling me that they love the work or they love the show. I would. And it was always fun. Like I've ne- I haven't had an experience like that that wasn't fun, and enjoyable, or yeah. at the very least felt good. Um, uh, just to say that, like it, it's, it, I, I haven't in the city of New York ever felt like, oh my god, I really need more privacy right now. Um, that said, the coolest thing, like the 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 things that are the most fun, and I've now spent more and more time in Jacksonville, um, is like people coming up to me, especially if it's like during a game or something like that, and be like, hey, can you Facetime with my mom? You know, and say hi. Like that stuff's so cool because what it says to me is that this is the kind of thing that like people watch with their families. Yes, and that's very cool to me because uh, anything that can bring people together like that. Usually, you know, everyone has their own show. Yeah, and separate. Like I was a big Scrubs fan, mm-hmm. and I haven't watched network TV since. Uh, <laughs> but. Um, I would go watch it alone. Like no one else in my family wanted to watch it with me Interesting. <laughs> on Tuesday nights. And and so the idea that I'm part of something that people are like, brings them together. Oh yeah. We, we save it. So we, until we're all together to watch, like, I think that's very cool. Very special. And yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned Jacksonville. So let's get into the Jags real quick. <laughs> uh, I'm a Bengals fan. We've had our yeah. fair share of tough years. And um, I grew up with a Bengals fan until he, until he abandoned ship. My yeah, brother. So your dad was a Lions fan. Yeah. And is a, is a Lions fan. Is a Lions fan. Actually, he's in Detroit today. He's going to opening day of the Tiger or not opening day. He's going to, uh, it's already open, but he's uh, seeing the Tigers and Mets play. Oh, that's sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but you and your brother, so he was Lions fan. You and your brother had the opportunity to choose teams. <laughs> he chose I don't know if it bank. was the opportunity. I think we were forced to leave yeah, uh, for our own futures. So what, what – what, Yeah, my guy's here. Yeah. yeah, what happened with Jacksonville? Why did you pick the Jags? So, so yeah, my essentially uh, the story is that my, my mom was getting a little concerned that we were raised as Lions fans, and I think she was already <laughs> seeing the social anxiety and stuff like that. Yeah. I think she went to my dad and was like – your kids don't put them through this your kids are not going to have friends because they're lions fans <laughs> they will be alone and my dad i guess got scared and he was like oh maybe you're right god and so he here. sat us down and was like um maybe you guys should pick your own teams you can't be alliance fans but but he was also like but don't be a giants or jets fan like be your own yeah. person <laughs> and uh 
and that was 1995. So I chose them from from the beginning. And my but there was a, you know we were eight and six. So like of course I became a Jaguars fan. He became a Bengals. Like we stayed in like this animal big cat thing. Yeah. And then my brother was Bengals, and then with the Dolphins, and then Bengals. And now he's back home with the Lions with my dad. Interesting. So, so but you got to do some really really cool things. Um, yeah. I will make sure this comes out after this happens. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So you getting to be involved with the Jaguars uh, schedule release. Yeah. Uh, like it's like a short, almost like a short film, right? Well, what we've done is definitely a short film. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, incredible. Talk about that because I think by now you can go see it on the Jags social media yeah. pages, but like, it's such a cool experience for you as a Jags fan Obviously, getting this role and being a famous Jacksonville fan now, you get you, it helps you get to do cool things like this. That's true. Uh, the idea of the, the association of me with the word famous is always laughable, but I, I appreciate uh, what you're getting at. Uh, there isn't, I, I don't, my life hasn't, my day to day of my life hasn't changed, you know, with doing the show aside from them shooting the show and like the social media ness of it all. But I have certainly um, cashed in um, with the Jaguars because that's all I want. Like, if you're on it, all you want, all I think if you're a sports fan is just you know Your to be closer to, to the sport. That's right. all you want. There's nothing else. There's no other perk that's as fun as that. So um, they have they have welcomed me into the family, and so this year they uh, every year teams do the schedule release videos. Right, the teams that want to partake in the fun Super competition. Fun on social media. Yeah. And so the Jaguars uh, haven't really done one since the, their last winning season, and so uh, this year they felt like, oh, let's get back into the into the uh, back on the field, so to speak. And they had an idea based on the Arian Foster mm-hmm. thing about the NFL being scripted, and said, what if we did a whole thing where we held auditions <laughs> for the 2023 season? And I was like, okay, that's that's funny, um, but I I sat and thought about it, and I was like, I think the thing to do is to bring audiences, if you want to go with the scripted idea, bring audiences inside the Jacksonville Jaguars writer's room as they write the 2023 season. And then you can extrapolate that and bring them into rehearsals. That's incredible. um, With the players. So the idea being that there's no more difficult transition in sports than to go from playing football in college to pretending to play football in the NFL, <laughs> uh, as all these athletes have to learn how to act. So we have we would put up like things on the screen in their team meeting room. We had access to all these places, and so I got on the team meeting room, and you know where Doug Peterson usually has his his stuff. I put up a big slide that said, uh, "Football is easy, acting is hard." Uh, and <laughs> Football, uh, football got you here, but acting will keep you here. You know, so that's incredible. So, you're, are you yeah. directing and so in I, this? yeah, so I wrote it. I'm, I'm in it because you need. Uh, well, what we realized was you need someone to kind of drive the, like, the, be the, the, the kind of glue to tell the story. Yeah, and and like these guys are in OTAs, like they don't have time to. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, you know, give me 24 seven for, you know, a few days of, of production. So, right. uh, I'm kind of the glue of it, you know, bring the different pieces together. And then I co-directed it with a guy, uh, Trent O'Donnell, who directed the pilot of ghosts and the first oh, sweet. he's probably done maybe 10 episodes in the, of the, awesome. of the stuff that we've done. And he's a genius. Yeah. And I convinced Trent he was in Australia. I convinced Trent to fly from Australia to Jacksonville. 
Uh, and I said, there's no budget for this, but if you come and you bring your 10 year old son, I promise he will have the two greatest days of his life. Yeah. And, uh, and Henry had a blast. He met all the players. He met, he met That's Trevor. Right. He met, uh, yeah, it was great. And so everyone's in it. You know, there are former players. We have current players. Shad Khan's in it. The owner, Doug Peterson is in it. Um, yeah, it's a really fun Trevor thing. Lawrence and you got super close in this, right? <laughs> I don't know that we got. I don't know that we got super close. We we I, I've I've been lucky enough to hang out with him a few times. He's a very cool dude. Yeah. Um. And uh, we met at the Super Bowl, I think, at a Super Bowl party. Uh. And he's very with it. Like he he I I must have recognized me from. I don't know that he watches Ghosts or if he has, he hasn't hasn't told me. But I'm assuming he saw it on on Jaguar social media or something. Right. Um, so we chatted then and then I met him at, uh, the players championship in Jacksonville and then we did this and I, um, of course wanted him to be in it and he said yes. And, and then we, uh, had a bit where, uh, we have a scene where Trevor is, is kind of peeking into the writer's room and there's a very strict in our, in our bit that actors are not allowed in the writer's room and he is nothing more than an actor uh, playing the character of Trevor Lawrence. He is Trevor Lawrence playing the character of Trevor Lawrence. So uh, I see him in the doorway, and I'm like, hey, bud, how you doing? And I slam the door in his face and kick him out. And so that was funny. It was good. And Trent was like, I think try it again, but you know, let's get the door to slam faster. So I did that, slammed it faster. It was a little better. <laughs> I opened the door to check on Trevor, and he's gone. He's not there. Yikes. And I peek my head out into the hallway, and his face is bright red because I had slammed the door into his nose. Uh, and in that moment, my, my whole life flashed before my eyes and I, and I thought, Oh <laughs> well, God, this is done. This is done. I'll, I'll have to go back to be a Lions fan now because the Jaguars will never talk to me again. <laughs> um, no, uh, but yeah, we had a lot of fun and he was great. He's really funny in this. Uh, and he's got the big punchline at the end. Um, yeah, everyone was great. It was really uh, mind blowing. Like to, you talk about like getting people from a different point of view. Like yeah. these guys are guys, yeah. you know, like Zay Jones is a wide receiver for yeah. the Jaguars was with the Raiders. Um, this man should be an actor. Like, he's so good. He and I did a four-minute improv of him basically having an existential crisis over the fact that he's Zay Jones playing Zay Jones, and if that's true, then who is he? You know, like, it's... <laughs> it, and it, we just, like... That's we just awesome. discovered it on the spot. And so all these guys, their personalities, and getting to see them as human beings, I think is some. I hope is something that fans are going to love. Yeah, no, so. you can go look on the uh, Jaguar social media pages. A fun yeah. video. Obviously, you love to be a part of it. Um, yeah. Last thing I'll ask. Please. Uh, well, second to last. Sorry, I tricked you. Um, Come get it. Favorite part of being a Jags fan? Well, have you had a favorite moment? Was it filming this? Yeah, I think. I mean, it would. Oh God, there have been some games that are amazing. Like the run last year was incredible. Oh, comeback, was comeback was insane. Um, but yeah, I think probably filming this uh, is one of them, and and everything. Like hopping on Zoom, I had to film Shad Khan while I was in L.A. doing press and hopping on Zoom with him and watching this guy who's like, you know, like, uh, I guess one of those powerful people around and he's like, I'm going to act today. I'm like, we're going we're gonna to do some acting. Like, that's just so cool. And knowing that, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, like the, the merging of the acting in the football world is, is a lot of fun. But yeah, I, 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 anything with the Jaguars immediately brings me back to being eight years old. And from a mental health standpoint, yeah. that's a very safe place to be. That's super cool. And sports yeah. are a big thing for me, obviously, for you too. And it makes you feel at home, makes you feel um, like a kid again. It, yeah. It, it, it's super cool. Um, last yeah. thing I will ask, this is the last thing. Great, please. Advice for aspiring actors. Actors. 
Actors. I don't know why I said it like that. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> advice for expiring actors who who, who want to follow your footsteps, who maybe have been living in, in, in New York and have experienced that same rejection. Well, what, what advice do you have for them to keep going? Hmm. Um, I'm going to say a couple of things, and I hope I'm not long-winded here. Um, one is, I have to repeat this because this is just a good thing, is treat yourself like you are your own son. Right. That's huge because no one else is. We think that we have to earn. We think that we, and I have learned that. I, I, I think I was taught this on some at some points, that we have to earn well-being. Okay. We don't. Yeah. We need well-being in order to earn things. Yep. So there's that. The other thing is that um, when I was talking about that chaos and structure thing, mm -hmm. a lot of people can do structure. A lot of people can figure out that structure. But allowing yourself to be spontaneous uh, is probably the most important thing you can do as an actor. Because if you go in and have an audition and actually treat it like it's a conversation yeah. between you and the reader, whoever and let life just happen as though it's being improvised. Mm -hmm. Let this thing that's been premeditated, this script, suddenly feel like it's just happening in the room because it's actually just yeah. a conversation between you and this other person. Your, your work is gonna change dramatically and opportunities will open up because eventually you will find through spontaneity what your own sensibilities are. Yeah. And then your sensibilities will meet up with how other people view you. So mm -hmm. like for me, what I realized is when I'm having a lot of fun, if you put douchey words into me having a lot of fun, it comes off as this like lovable douche thing. And that's yeah. basically what Trevor is. Um, and so I found out later on, like I've never, I never wear suits ever, but I found out as I got older huh. that every job I get, I'm wearing a suit because there's something about that kind of world yeah. That I fit, that my jokey sensibility fits into. So spontaneity, well-being, um, those are the big ones. Just don't give up on the dream. And don't give up. Like, just take care of yourselves is the biggest thing. And, you know, this is the hardest thing, but it used to be that people would have to sell their souls to get access to a camera. Now we all have them in our back pocket. So yeah, which is good. Good and bad. Yeah, TikTok. It's there's a lot on there. We won't yeah. get we won't get into all that. Good. I appreciate, it, man. Thanks You're for having fantastic. me. You're fantastic. Thank oh. you for doing this. I I think that I wish that I had uh, had access to this kind of stuff when I was a kid because there was no even when I see NFL players doing the uh, DJ Chark was a receiver for the Jaguars for a while and did a lot with mental health awareness. Yeah. So I actually know him really well. I covered I covered him at LSU. So oh really? Yeah. So. Yeah. So DJ like. Uh, I've never met him, but everything he did, I was like, my God, if only I could have heard this when I was 14, yep. like, it would have changed everything. And that, I thank you for saying that. That's, that's the hope with this. You know, I'm busting my ass going all around the country, driving 10 hours to New York city oh and going out to LA and Chicago, everywhere in between. I just think these conversations are what younger people or whoever needs to hear when they're going through shit. Yeah. So once again, I appreciate it. You're thank fantastic. you so much. Thank you. You are as well. And we'll see everybody back here next week on the mental game. And what a great conversation that was with Asher. I can't thank him enough for really opening up about mental health, suicidal thoughts, depression. I mean, that was a really, really deep conversation that went just about an hour. And like I said, I can't thank him enough because opening up like that takes a lot of strength. And I really appreciate him for doing that right here on The Mental Game. Next week, it is another surprise guest, but I will give you two hints. I shot the episode last week in Nashville at CMA Fest. 
And this guest is a former winner. Yes, I said winner on The Voice. So those are your two hints, and we will see everybody back here next week on The Mental Game. Thank you.